Well, good morning. It's good to see each of you here, all rolling in here after Thanksgiving meals. I think my clothes shrank about two sizes. Um, but it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Glad you have chosen to worship with us here at Pitts Baptist Church. If you're visiting, we would ask that you take a care card that's in the pew back in front of you. Fill that information out and you can put that in one of the collection bins in the lobby of the sanctuary here. We would love to know of your visit with us and love to get back in touch with you. But uh, thank you for being with us today. On the flip side of that care card is a place for anyone to fill out a prayer request, prayer need. And you can also turn it in that way or if that prayer need is of a more personal matter and you want to give that to one of the staff members after church today, you can certainly do that. But we are certainly glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. We have a lot of announcements this morning. Um, so the first one is this, that uh, this afternoon at 4 o'clock, we'll have a meeting in this room uh, to discuss our uh, budget for the 2023 year. Uh, copies of the, the printed budget are in the lobby, and you can get those, go over them this afternoon, come back at 4 o'clock. If you have any uh, questions regarding the budget, that is the time to ask those questions. Uh, and then next Sunday, uh, we will have a vote by ballot with no questions. So uh, tonight is the time to, uh, to discuss any questions that you might have regarding the budget. Um, today is also the last day to purchase tickets for next week's churchwide Christmas party. Uh, we'll be having uh, soups and sandwiches and some really good desserts. Uh, and we'll enjoy some games. We'll have an ugly uh, Christmas sweater contest. We'll award prizes for that. So I know you'll want to be a part of next week. Our youth will also be leading in worship uh, that afternoon. The party starts at 5. Uh, so we hope and pray that you can attend. But so that we can get a number and a handle uh, on how many are coming, please purchase the tickets today. Uh, cost for adults is $5 and $3 for children. Uh, tomorrow, we'll be taking a group to the OCC Processing Center at 530 uh, to help out with the processing of all those shoe boxes. Uh, so uh, if you would like to be a part of that group, there's a sign-up sheet in the lobby today. Uh, I believe Kevin is planning on leaving around 530 and returning around 1030 tomorrow night. So Hopefully and prayerfully, we'll have a good representation uh, uh, from our church there tomorrow night. Uh, poinsettias will be placed in the worship center on December the 18th. Uh, and to place a poinsettia in memory or in honor of someone, we ask that you uh, please complete the form uh, and have it turned in by December the 11th. Uh, these forms are also available in the lobby of the sanctuary. So make sure that you get those in if you do want to place poinsettia in, in honor uh, and memory. It always makes our church look so beautiful, um, but uh, if you look around today, uh, lots of decorating went on uh, this past week and all over the campus, but mainly here, and uh, I know you would want to thank Garrett and her team of getting our sanctuary decorated uh, for the holidays. Um, also, um, there's this, this information right here is going to be valuable to you as it discusses everything that's going on through the, the Christmas holidays. And we ask that you take one of these 
Um, one of the things that it discusses is our, our post office box. And we do this every year to raise money for Lottie Moon missions. And we ask that instead of taking that card to the post office and putting a stamp on it, just bring it here uh, and it's an in-house post office service. And so that way you don't have to pay postage for that. You just drop those off uh, in the lobby area. And we ask that you take the money that you would have spent on postage and put towards the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. There will be a box there available for you to do that. Uh, speaking of Lottie Moon, our goal this year is $100,000. Uh, it's the loftiest goal that we set, but it seems like every year uh, we exceed uh, our goal. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, Pitts is always such a giving church, and, and we have two uh, from our church uh, that will be benefiting from that. And so, and as, as you pray about giving, it's just a good reminder to pray um, for those that are on the field serving the Lord. But um, our March for Missions for Lottie Moon will be December the 11th, but we always collect that offering through the end of January. So be praying about what the Lord would have you uh, do for that special offering. Also, we have our angel tree ministry going on. There's two trees, one in the lobby of the sanctuary and one in the lobby of the core. Uh, we had a great week last week. Uh, almost all the tags got gone. Uh, and so we ask, uh, hopefully and prayerfully, uh, uh, all of these tags will get gone. Um, and we ask that you bring uh, that gift back wrapped uh, by December the 11th and uh, also that's placed in the box at the angel tree is an instruction card as to how uh, to to go about this whole process of the angel tree ministry but we've done it for several years and we look forward uh, to a good year this year many families and children um, have a Merry Christmas because of your generosity and we certainly thank you for that um, the ladies Christmas event is December the 8th and it's for ages sixth grade and up uh, the theme this year is Broken Vessels, Five Sinners, Five Stories, and One Savior. And this is a live uh, dramatized presentation. It's not a video. And so I know that uh, that will add uh, to the evening. Uh, but I, I know that you guys look forward to a special evening of fellowship and food together. The cost is $10. Um, and these tickets are available through December the 4th. And they also ask that you bring an unwrapped gift for a child ages um, birth to 14. And then lastly, our, our Grief Share Surviving the Holidays seminar is December the 6th. And there are two sessions, one at 9.30 to 11.30 in the morning and one at 6.30 to 8.30 in the evening. Registration is $5. Uh, and if, but if you have any questions regarding this event, please see Linda Bounds. I know this is a ministry that has reached out to many people already. Uh, so this is going to be an incredible event uh, for the Grief Share Ministries ministry. So if you have any questions, please see Linda Bounds. Please listen to the words of Scripture that are found in Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, and then in verse 21. It says, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And then in Romans chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, it says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. 
Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray together. Father, today as we begin this season of Advent and we focus on hope, Lord, we know that our only hope is in you. Father, we thank you that the words of uh, the hymnist wrote, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Father, we thank you that we can put our hope in something that is steadfast and sure, that's not fleeting, but Father, your hope remains. You are constant. You are never changing. And we thank you and praise you that we can put all of our hope and confidence in you. God, thank you for the gift of Jesus who purchased our salvation, that we can indeed have a relationship with you. God, we pray that uh, today, that as we worship you, Lord, that our hope in you would be increased. Father, that the songs that we sing, what we read and what we hear in the message that you've given our pastor, God, increase the hope that we have in you. Lord, I pray for those that are in here this morning that may not have the hope of salvation as they may have never surrendered their life to you. I pray, Father, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, they recognize their need for you and that they too would know the hope of the Lord Jesus. God, we thank you for allowing us to be in such a wonderful place to worship you. We pray that the name of Jesus is high and lifted up and exalted, that you would draw all people unto yourself. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.
God, you threw the whole world a curveball when you showed us a kind of hope we'd never thought to look for. Born of poverty between the walls of a rickety barn and into the fragile arms of a nervous young mom, Jesus arrived unable to defend himself, much less anyone else. We'd been hoping for security, and you gave us a baby. And then the expectations kept being shattered. Jesus healed those who could do nothing for him. He handed out hope to people the world turned away. Jesus showed us a new way of life, a life that works from the inside out. Hope lives with us, then inside us, and moves from our hearts into the world. Jesus gave us hope beyond this life, hope no one else has to give, hope that shows up in a manger as a gift we don't deserve, but we gratefully receive. We call him Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.
darkness we were away without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the
be seated. Amen. Good singing. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 8 as we continue our journey uh, through the gospel of Mark. I do want to indicate to you though that as we uh, finish out uh, chapter 8 today, we are going to put a pause on Mark until January. And beginning next week, we'll start looking at some traditional uh, Christmas themes. And so I just wanted you to know what's coming up in, in the weeks to follow. Also, let me say a word about Lottie Moon. I know Kevin mentioned this. We discussed this at length in our November Deacons meeting. And... Uh, there was some thought in mind of raising our goal to 120,000. Uh, the reasoning behind that is we have two young people on foreign soil as missionaries through the IMB. And we checked with the IMB and on average it takes $60,000 a year to keep a missionary on the field. And we thought, well, we have two. And so let's support our own and make the goal 120. Um, Others thought that might be a little bit ambitious and uh, we would make the goal at 100. After all, for the the past two years, we've given over 100. Last year was close to 110 and then the year before that was close to 105. So... uh, we said we'll set it at 100, and hey, if we give 120, praise the Lord. And so uh, the deacons wanted me to communicate to you, though. We have two people on the field, and if we were to support our own two as a church, it would be 120,000. And so they were emphasizing to pray very much as a family about this and give generously Uh, to international missions. Keep in mind, every dollar we collect through Lottie Moon uh, goes to the field. It doesn't stay here. It doesn't uh, stay in Richmond, Virginia, where the IMB is based. It gets to the missionaries uh, on the field. And so keep that in mind as you think about giving uh, this uh, Christmas. Uh, Would you stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? We're going to look at the subject matter, what is involved in being a Christian. What is involved in being a Christian? Beginning there in verse 22. We left off in verse 21 last week, so let's start in verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, 
John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return uh, for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Thank you. You may be seated. Folks, today we reach a very important turning point in the Gospel of Mark. Now, the first half of the Gospel of Mark that we have been looking at so far deals with miracles largely that Jesus performed we see him healing the sick uh, restoring the lame to be able to walk driving out demons uh, raising people from death miracles over storms of nature And Mark's point has been to show us that Jesus is Lord of all. There is nothing that the Lord is not able to do. The Lord is able to drive out the powers of darkness and he's able to reverse the consequences of sin showing what one day it will be like when we will be in his presence forever. So again, Mark's been showing us that Jesus is indeed Lord of all. But beginning in Mark 8, we will see Jesus concentrating more on his disciples and revealing more of himself and his mission to them. Uh, He's going to show us Jesus turning his face towards Jerusalem despite knowing what will happen to him there he will be rejected and he will be crucified and yet Jesus is going to Jerusalem regardless and he's also going to show his disciples what's involved in being a follower of his if he suffers persecution and rejection so shall we 
And so we learn what is involved in being a Christian. What does it mean exactly to follow Jesus Christ? What's going to be involved in this? Is it always going to be easy? Is it always going to be convenient? Will you always enjoy your best life now? Now, to open up, though, we're going to deal, first of all, this section is going to be introduced by yet another healing miracle. But this healing miracle is going to introduce this theme of Jesus gradually opening the eyes of his disciples more and more. You look at the healing miracle in verses 22 to 26 and and we see a lot of similarities between this miracle and the previous ones. But there's also a major difference. The difference in this healing miracle is that Jesus heals this blind man in stages. And it's the only time that we see this. And that's the real point here. Everybody agrees that Jesus could have healed this blind man instantly. I mean, after all, that's what we've been uh, observing Jesus doing. He heals people instantly. And so obviously he could have done that here. But he didn't. And that's the real lesson. A gradual healing. It points out what Jesus is getting ready to do with his disciples. He is going to begin to open their eyes more and more. The disciples see and understand a little bit thus far. I mean, Simon Peter is about to confess who Christ is. But we're also going to see that though they understand a little bit, they don't understand fully. And Jesus is going to expand their understanding. And it's a great illustration or a great analogy of how he deals with us. There are some people today that when Jesus saves them, I mean, he just automatically, instantaneously. I mean, it's like that person just sees everything new in life. They are are completely changed. There are other people that while they're just as saved, yet things happen in, in their lives maybe a little more gradually. More and more and more they understand what it means to follow Christ. Scholars write that that's really Mark's point. In this miracle here. Mark is showing us the differences in how people believe. The disciples will fit into that category. And we fit into that same category. But Jesus is now going to return to the lessons on discipleship. And that's where I want to focus this morning. So first of all, in your outline today, I want you to see that Jesus confronts his disciples about his identity. In verse 27, we read that Jesus went with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Folks, the the setting for this encounter was so important. 
we're told that Jesus took his disciples to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now Caesarea Philippi was north of the Sea of Galilee. It was just a few miles away from the ancient city of Dan. And Dan for centuries had been considered the northernmost boundary of the Holy Land. But more important than its location was what Caesarea Philippi stood for. Caesarea Philippi was a place of religious confusion. You see, it had always been very susceptible to pagan influence. The city was originally named Paneus after the Greek god Pan who according to Greek mythology was born in a nearby cave. You've probably seen images of Pan before in books talking about ancient religions. It's the, it's the false god, the idol that has the body of a goat and the head of a man. Pan was recognized as a god by some at Caesarea Philippi. Also, Caesar Augustus had given the region to Herod the Great, who had built a temple in this region in honor of Caesar. It was a temple where people would go in and they would worship Caesar and burn incense to Caesar. And then Philip the Tetrarch, Tetrarch, Herod's son, inherited the land and he renamed it after Caesar. He added the name Philippi to gain honor for himself and to distinguish this Caesarea from the one on the Mediterranean coast west of Jerusalem. It was also known as an area of Syrian Baal worship. You remember Baalism from the Old Testament? And so Greek paganism was in this area. Roman emperor worship was in this area. And also the Canaanite religion of Baalism was practiced here. Folks, the people of this region didn't know what to believe. I mean, this is a confused area. And it's interesting to me how Jesus took his disciples to an area just like this to ask them the question of the ages. He didn't take them inside the security of the temple. He took them to the crossroads of culture. And as we think about this today, you, would, you and I would certainly have to admit The application to today, we live in a very confused age. You can look on the internet and find not only churches, but you can find synagogues and mosques and Hindu temples and Buddhist temples and New Age organizations and one or two of them in our area. I don't even know what it is that they believe. You can find all of this here in our area. Organizations for atheists and agnostics and for those who don't know what they believe. I mean, we live in a confused age likewise, don't we? And so Matthew, uh, 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 Mark chapter 8 here, just like this same story in Matthew 16, has a very contemporary feel to it. 
And I want you to notice what Jesus does. Jesus confronts them with what the culture is saying about him. It's not that he did not know the answer. He simply wanted his disciples to grapple with the significance of it all. And let's look at what they say. They pointed out, some people are saying, you're John the Baptist. Remember Herod, who had John the Baptist beheaded? He believed that maybe Jesus was John the Baptist risen from the dead and, or, or reincarnated. Others were saying, you're Elijah. Elijah was considered by many Jews to be the most prominent prophet of the Old Testament. And Malachi 4, 5 says that the Lord would send him again before the coming and great and terrible day of the Lord. Even in modern Jewish Passover celebrations, an empty chair is reserved at the table for Elijah. There was something about Jesus that made some people think that maybe he's the Elijah who was to come. Now, aren't people the same today? You ask people, you ask people on the streets, who is Jesus? And you'll get all kinds of answers. Some people may answer like us and say, oh, he's the Lord. But others would give uh, inadequate answers. They might say, oh, he was a great prophet. He was a great leader. He was a good teacher. He showed us a, a good humanitarian example of, of laying down your life for your friends. But they stop short of giving his real identity. I want you to think of the con contrast, some of the answers we see here and some of the answers we would find today with what Jesus said of himself in John 14, 6. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But again, we live in a very confused age. And so it was a culture just like ours where Jesus took his disciples and asked them the most important question he could have asked them. And it's a reminder to you and me of the mission of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus come to do? Luke 19 verse 10 says Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He goes into cultures just like Caesarea Philippi, just like ours today. And he confronts people through our testimony with his identity that they might come to know him. And folks, Jesus didn't simply want to know about others. He wanted to know about his disciples. After all, these were the men that he had chosen. What do they believe? And so he asked them, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter speaks up. Now most of the time when Peter speaks, when he opens his mouth to speak, uh, he is opening his mouth so he can take one foot out and stick the other foot in. But this time, notice what Peter does. I mean, it's great. Peter says, you're the Christ. 
You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the son of the living God. And folks, in Simon Peter's answer is wrapped up all of the Old Testament promises about the Messiah. You see, Deuteronomy spoke of the arrival of one who would be like Moses, but greater than Moses. Isaiah the prophet spoke of the Messiah being a suffering servant who would be sacrificed for the sins of his people. And the prophet Daniel had spoken of one who would uh, be on equal standing to the ancient of days. And so Peter is saying, Lord, this is who you are. You're him. You're the one that we've been waiting for. And you have finally arrived. Now, folks... Is Peter's confession your confession also? You see, every single one of us in here has to decide this question for ourselves. Who do you say that Jesus is? What did Jesus do? Does your testimony line up with what the Bible says who he is and what he did? What do you say about Jesus? You see, you have to make up your mind also. You can't just simply ride to heaven on somebody else's coattails. Every single one of us are confronted with the person of Jesus Christ. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? It doesn't matter what public opinion is. What's your conviction? What do you say? This is what Christ wants to know of you and of me. What have you done with Jesus Christ in your life? Have you come to the point of saying, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and here I surrender my life to you. You know, I think of what C.S. Lewis said on one occasion. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, you've got to decide either Jesus was a liar or a lunatic or the Lord. He said, some people want to ride the fence and say, oh, he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a good prophet. But Lewis says, you can't stop short and simply say that. If he was only a prophet or a teacher and that is all, you certainly can't call him good because he claimed to be the Son of God and the only way to God. And so if he's not the Son of God and not the only way to God, then he was not good. He was a deceiver and a liar and he can't be trusted. If he's not who he said he is, then he's also a lunatic because he claimed to be one with his heavenly father. Would you want to follow a lunatic? Of course not. But, Lewis says, if he is who he says he is, then he's more than a good man. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a teacher. He's Lord and he deserves your life and your worship. Folks, the Bible says that as a result of going our own way, we, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And there is nothing that you and I can do to save ourselves. All of our righteousnesses, it's plural in Isaiah, all of our righteousnesses are as nothing but filthy rags in the sight of God. Your best attempts, my best attempts at reconciling ourselves to God fall woefully short. And so what did God do? 
It's what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation of his son. He sent his son to bear our sin on the cross, to be our Lord and Savior, to forgive us and to reconcile us to a holy God. Is that the conclusion you've come to? If not, I would encourage you to listen to the words of Jesus in Revelation 3. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open to me, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. Open the door of your life to him. Second thing I want you to see with me this morning. Jesus reveals his rejection, hinting also how his disciples may be treated. Uh, Pick up reading with me in verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God but the things of man. Jesus immediately begins to teach them what it means that he is the Messiah. It means that he will have to suffer and die. I want you to listen to what Isaiah said about this. In Isaiah 53, uh, beginning in verse 3, Isaiah says he was despised. And rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus begins revealing to his disciples that this was the mission that he came to fulfill. And John the Baptist had hinted at this. You remember what John the Baptist told his own disciples? When John saw Jesus, he pointed his disciples to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's telling his disciples likewise, Hey guys, here's the one that we've been waiting on. And he's going to be a lamb sacrificed for our sins. But what we see here is that the disciples, even the disciples, aren't quite ready to see this fully. I mean, they're still a lot like the crowds. Remember the crowds? If we were to fast forward in the gospel to the... To the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, what we refer to as Palm Sunday. I mean, they're they're spreading the palm branches and laying their their cloaks, their outer cloaks in the road. And and they're saying, 
Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're thinking that Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem and he's going to immediately overthrow the Roman yoke and set up the throne of David and rule. Even the followers of Jesus to some degree are believing this. They're thinking like the crowds. And so Simon Peter speaking for them pulls Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. Don't you wonder what that conversation must have been like in full? Lord, why are you talking like this? You've come to be the conquering king. And notice what Jesus does. Jesus in turn rebukes Peter and he goes so far as to say, Peter, get behind me, Satan. What I want you to think of here is the wilderness temptations. What did Satan want Jesus to do in the wilderness? He wanted Jesus to take shortcuts. What is it Simon Peter is wanting Jesus to do? Shortcuts. Man's interests were to have a new king immediately instead of the Romans. But God's interest were that first of all, man has to be dealt with in his sin. Man's sin has to be forgiven. Man has to be reconciled to a holy God. Jesus will be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords one day. And we're told in Philippians 2, every knee will bow before him and every tongue confess that, that Jesus is Lord. That day's coming, but this day he's going to have to go to the cross first. Without the cross, we would still be hopelessly lost in our sin. Third thing I want you to see with me, Jesus admonishes the crowd and the disciples about the cost of following him. Beginning there in verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Folks, as he's pointing out here to his disciples, he's not the only one that has a cross to bear. You and I, in a sense... Anybody who follows Christ, in a sense, has their own cross to bear. You know, sometimes Jesus used very powerful symbols to communicate truth. I think of the symbol in Mark 11, uh, Matthew 11 that he uses when he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me a yoke. You see, a yoke was that wooden bar that they would put across 
uh, two animals' necks when they were plowing. Take two oxen, for example. And they would take an older, more mature and experienced ox and they would team up a younger, inexperienced ox with that older one. They would put a yoke across both necks. And, and even in the animal world, the, that older animal, more experienced, would, would help that young animal understand, hey, what, what are we doing here? And Jesus is saying what you need to do is take his yoke upon you and learn of him. He's our teacher. He's our Lord and Savior. But we're to hitch our life to him and let him grow us and teach us. We're to learn from him. That's one of the symbols Jesus used of discipleship. Another symbol that he used is right here. Uh, What he's saying here, a cross. A cross was a symbol of sacrifice and death. And folks, by, by using this symbol, nobody could ever say, Jesus has misled me. Because Jesus wants his followers to know that if we're going to follow him, if we're going to name the name of Christ and consider ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, then we each have a cross to bear. We've got our own cross. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, not everybody wants to. I may even be talking to people in this room this morning that that not everybody really wants to follow the Lord on his terms. But to those who want to, Jesus says you've got to deny yourself. You see folks, self is the problem. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden, the serpent came to Eve and said, Eve, if you take of this fruit, you can be like God. You won't need God anymore. You can be like God. What did Isaiah say in Isaiah 53? All we like sheep have done what? We've gone astray. We want to be in charge of our own lives. We want to be independent. We want to make our own decisions. We don't want anybody else telling us what we've got to do. But I want you to notice what Jesus says here. That the Christian life in a very real sense begins with a funeral. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, you know, when we hear these words, let him deny himself, so oftentimes we, we look at this in such trivial ways. You know, maybe you're going out to eat after service today. I'm going to deny myself that good-looking dessert there on the menu. I, I, I won't order that this time. We, we think of it in such trivial terms like that. But folks, that's not what Jesus is, is speaking of here. He's describing something profound. You've got to absolutely turn everything about who you are, 
your identity, what you want to be in life, you got to surrender it to him. You know, I think of Abraham in the Old Testament. When God called Abraham, he had to leave his, his father's homeland. His, everything that was of comfort to Abraham, Abraham had to turn his back on it and go to the new place God was calling him. He even had to get to the point of being willing to sacrifice his own son if that's what it took. It's a very important decision Jesus is speaking of here when he says you've got to deny yourself. We live in a time when people think of themselves. Advertisers have picked up on this. What do they do? They try to appeal to our desires, what we want. You know, there even used to be one ad that even said, you deserve a break today. You know, it's all about you. It's all about me. We make life all about us. How many times have pastors and ministers even sat with a couple in a counseling session and they're splitting up and and one of them looks at the pastor and says, Pastor, I know what I'm doing is going to crush my spouse and is going to hurt my family, but I've got to do this anyway for myself. Jesus said, you've got to renounce claims on yourself there's not only a cross for Christ there is one for you somebody wrote one time a verse that said must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free no there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me again folks it's not trivial it's not trivial don't don't talk about bearing your cross in trivial ways you know your neighbor, his son, rides his bicycle across your yard and you conclude, oh, that's just the cross I've got to bear right now. No, again, I want to remind you, a cross was an instrument of death. Jesus was saying that his, he was going to the cross to bear our sins. Something only he could do. But we've got a cross to bear. We've got to deny ourselves. And we've got to follow him. We've got to be prepared to lay it all on the line for him. Many people want to follow Jesus until it might interfere with their plans. We say, and we probably don't say this verbally, but we may have thoughts at times. Lord, I'll follow you as long as it doesn't interfere with my family. I'll follow you as long as it doesn't conflict with my job. Lord, I don't want to do anything at work that that if I say something about Jesus, it, it might conflict with my job. I might get in trouble. I'll follow you as long as it doesn't doesn't take too much time or commitment. I'll, I'll follow you, Lord, as long as no one offends me by what they say. So many people have these conditions they put on. But Jesus said, if you don't forsake all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. 
Not only must we deny ourselves, but we've got to dedicate ourselves. He said, take up your cross and follow me. You see, you can deny yourself of any cause. People do it every day. They deny themselves some pleasure. We need to be clear what we're denying ourselves for. Say no to self in order to say yes to Jesus. I want to remind you what Jesus' disciples themselves did. James and John, for instance, they forsook their father's fishing business to follow Jesus. Here was Matthew in a lucrative career as a tax collector. The Bible says he forsook the tax booth to follow Jesus. They followed Jesus above all. Jesus said we even have to be willing to leave the comforts of home. To carry out the great commission. But notice the promise he makes in verse 35. If you live for self you'll die. But if you live for Jesus. What's going to happen? You'll save your life. You see Jesus gives you a choice. You don't have to follow him. But you do have to live with the consequences. In verse 36. Look at what he said there. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? To live for yourself, to live for the world, to live for your own pleasures and desires. One of these days, you're going to stand before God to give an account and your whole life is going to mean nothing as far as what Christ wanted you to do. Verse 37. You've got to ask yourself this question. What can a man give in return for his soul. Am I speaking to somebody here today? That there, there is something. There is something you're putting ahead of Jesus. And his call and claim on your life. And I simply want to ask you this morning. Is it going to be worth it? Whatever you're putting ahead of the Lord. Is it going to be worth it? No it's not. And the point is, we, we need to have our eyes open and we need to see this before it's too late. And then in verse 38, he points out, you've got to declare yourself. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes uh, in the glory of his Father with the holy angels? Folks, as followers of Christ, not only do we count the cost, deny ourselves, count the cross, take up our cross and follow him and put him first and make sure nothing is standing in the way of us following him, but we've got to be willing to take a public stand and say, you know what, I belong to him. I'm a follower of Jesus. Regardless of what that might do to my reputation at work or at school. I'm a follower of Jesus. And you think about it folks. All of the significant events in our lives. What do we do? We take a public stand. We go to graduation ceremonies. We go to wedding ceremonies. We go to birthday parties. You think of all the different kinds of the most important events in a person's life or a family's life. And what is it? It's a public event. Following Christ is public. We've got to be a witness of Him and stand with Him. When the chips are down, stand with him. 
I think of the little boy who just got a new little dog. He was so proud of it. It was a little chihuahua. And some of his friends were making fun of him because he had this little chihuahua dog. And he said, oh, this is a police dog. And one of the friends said, what? That ain't no police dog like I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, he's a police dog. He's in the secret service. (laughs) Folks, we can't be in the secret service as believers. You know, there's a story. I don't know know if there's truth in it or it's one of these urban legends that's come down to us about George Washington. When he was leading troops in the Revolutionary War and how some man came up to him and said... uh, Mr. Washington, I just want you to know I respect everything about you. I stand with you. I applaud you. I'm I'm cheering you on. I'm with you in what you're about. And Washington asked him, young man, which regiment do you serve in? Oh, I don't serve in a regiment. I just wanted you to know I support you. And he said, young man, if you really support what I'm doing, you need to turn in your civilian clothes, put on a uniform, go home and grab your musket and powder, and you need to join up with me and fight. And folks, that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. It's not in secret. And it's not just something you say. Yes, what you say is important. You take a public stand. But you've got to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. And church, listen. Jesus is saying to you and me both, you cannot be his disciple. You cannot be his disciple and be in his company if you're not willing to do that. I want to give you some quick takeaways Number one, and these takeaways are going to summarize all these verses here that we've read this morning. First of all, faith has to grow. As we walk with Jesus, he opens our eyes more and more. Folks, our growth happens as we continue to follow him day by day. Growth is intentional. It's got to be pursued. And as you grow in the Lord, guess what? Your faith grows likewise. Secondly, in a confused age, disciples need to be clear as to who Jesus is. Our confession of Christ needs to line up with the scripture. Who does the Bible say Jesus is? Does our confession line up with the Bible? A third takeaway, the cross was a necessary part of God's plan of redemption of mankind. Sin has to be dealt with. And folks, the cross shows us how serious sin is to a holy God. We dare not dismiss sin in our lives like it doesn't really matter that much. God sent his son to die on the cross for sin. That's how much sin matters. And a fourth takeaway, the Christian life involves a cross as well. Are you willing to die to self in order to follow Jesus? Have you declared your allegiance? Do the people around you know that your relationship to Jesus is the most important thing in your life? 
Or does your Christian life only amount to doing things that are convenient to you? You do what you want to do, when you want to do it, when it's convenient to you. And, and that's all that your discipleship amounts to. I would say to you, if your faith never cost you anything, do you really have biblical faith? It's at least a question you and I should ask. Because too much is at stake. No wonder Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, you need to examine yourselves to see if you are really in the faith. What kind of faith do you have? Are you willing to count the cost? Deny yourself and follow him above all. That's biblical faith. Father, we thank you for this passage. It's a hard-hitting passage about discipleship, but it's one that we need to hear, and we need to hear it often. Lord, the Christian life is not always going to be easy on this earth. We live in a fallen world where there are many enemies of God. God, we thank you for saving us out of the darkness of the world. And giving us a heavenly hope. And changing our lives so we can live transformed lives. Lord, help us to understand we're not just to blend in and go along. We've got a cross to carry. Our lives need to count for Christ. Lord, I pray that you would prick the hearts of Christians here this morning that may be trying to be too much like the world. Maybe they're trying to blend in too much. They don't want to stand out. They need to hear these words that, that we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We are to be different. We're to be holy. God, I pray that they would deal with anything in their lives that is keeping them from that. It's not worth it. And for that one this morning who has never become a follower of Christ. God, get a hold of their heart through the power of your spirit. Bring them to yourself. Change their lives. Alter their course. Lord, transform them from the inside out so they're never the same again. And God, if they've seen bad examples among Christians... Lord, forgive us for that. But help them to see that other people aren't the standard. Jesus is the, the standard. Are they willing to follow him on his terms? God, I pray that there might be one who comes forward this morning saying, It's time. I want to declare my allegiance. I want to follow him. Lord, speak, speak to people. As you desire, have your way and your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.